Chapter fifty seven, part four of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six by Francois Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty seven, Louis the sixteenth, France abroad, United States War of Independence, seventeen seventy five to seventeen eighty three, part four. Whilst the United States were celebrating their victory with thanksgivings and public festivities, their allies were triumphing at all the different points simultaneously at which hostilities had been entered upon. Becoming embroiled with Holland, where the Republican Party had prevailed against the Stadtholder, who was devoted to them, the English had waged war upon the Dutch colonies. Admiral Rodney had taken St. Eustache, the centre of an immense trade he had pillaged the warehouses and laden his vessels with an enormous mass of merchandise the convoy which was conveying a part of the spoil to england was captured by admiral lamotte piquet m bouille surprised the english garrison remaining at st eustache and recovered possession of the island which was restored to the dutch they had just maintained gloriously at dogger bank their old maritime renown quote, officers and men all fought like lions said admiral zutman the firing had not commenced until the two fleets were within pistol-shot the ships on both sides were dismasted scarcely in a condition to keep afloat the glory and the losses were equal but the english admiral hyde parker was irritated and displeased George III went to see him on board his vessel. Quote, I wish your majesty younger seamen and better ships, said the old sailor, and he insisted on resigning. This was the only action fought by the Dutch during the war. They left to Admiral de Kersaint the job of recovering from the English their colonies of Demerara, Essequibo, and Berbice on the coasts of Guiana. A small Franco-Spanish army was at the same time besieging Menorca. The fleet was considerable, the English were ill-prepared. They were soon obliged to shut themselves up in Fort St. Philip. The ramparts were as solid, the position was as impregnable as in the time of Marshal Richelieu. The admirals were tardy in bringing up the fleet. Their irresolution caused the failure of operations that had been ill-combined the squadrons entered port again the duke of crillon who commanded the besieging force weary of investing the fortress made a proposal to the commandant to give the place up to him the offers were magnificent but colonel murray answered indignantly quote, sir when the king his master ordered your brave ancestor to assassinate the duke of guise he replied to henry the third honour forbids you ought to have made the same answer to the king of spain when he ordered you to assassinate the honour of a man as well born as the duke of guise or yourself i desire to have no communication with you but by way of arms and he kept up the defence of his fortress continually battered by the besiegers cannon-balls assault succeeded assault the duke of crillon himself escalated the ramparts to capture the English flag which floated on the top of a tower. He was slightly wounded. Quote, How long have generals done grenadiers' work? said the officers to one another. The general heard them. Quote, 
I wanted to make my Spaniards thorough French, he said, that nobody might any longer perceive that there are two nationalities here. End quote. Murray at last capitulated on the 4th of February, 1782. The fortress contained but a handful of soldiers, exhausted with fatigue and privation. Great was the joy at Madrid, as well as in France, and deep the dismay in London. The ministry of Lord North could not stand against this last blow. So many efforts and so many sacrifices ending in so many disasters were irritating and wearing out the nation. Quote, great god exclaimed burke is it still a time to talk to us of the rights we are upholding in this war oh precious rights which have cost great britain thirteen provinces four islands a hundred thousand men and more than ten millions sterling oh wonderful rights which have cost great britain her empire upon the ocean and that boasted superiority which made all nations bend before her oh inestimable rights which have taken from us our rank amongst the nations our importance abroad and our happiness at home which have destroyed our commerce and our manufactures which have reduced us from the most flourishing empire in the world to a kingdom circumscribed and grandeurless precious rights which will no doubt cost us all that we have left the debate was growing more and more bitter Lord North entered the house with his usual serenity. Quote, this discussion is a loss of valuable time to the house, said he. His Majesty has just accepted the resignation of his ministers. End quote. The Whigs came into power. Lord Rockingham, the Duke of Richmond, Mr. Fox. The era of concessions was at hand. An unsuccessful battle delivered against Hood and Rodney by Admiral de Grasse restored for a while the pride of the English. A good sailor, brave and for a long time successful in war, Count de Grasse had many a time been outmaneuvered by the English. He had suffered himself to be enticed away from St. Christopher, which he was besieging, and which the Marquis of Bouille took a few days later. Embarrassed by two damaged vessels, he would not abandon them to the English, and retarded his movements to protect them. The English fleet was superior to the French in vessels and weight of metal. The fight lasted ten hours. The French squadron was broken. Disorder ensued in the manoeuvres. The captains got killed one after another, nailing their colours to the mast or letting their vessels sink rather than strike. The flagship, the Ville de Paris, was attacked by seven of the enemy's ships at once, her consorts could not get at her. Count de Grasse, maddened with grief and rage, saw all his crew falling around him. Quote, the admiral is six foot every day, said the sailors. On a fighting day he is six foot one. End quote. So much courage and desperation could not save the fleet. The count was forced to strike. His ship had received such damage that it sank before its arrival in England. The admiral was received in London with great honours, against which his vanity was not proof, to the loss of his personal dignity and his reputation in Europe. A national subscription in France reinforced the fleet with new vessels. A squadron, commanded by M. de Souffrain, had just carried into the East Indies the French flag, which had so long been humiliated, and which his victorious hands were destined to hoist aloft again for a moment. As early as 1778, 
even before the maritime war had burst out in europe france had lost all that remained of her possessions on the coromandel coast pondicherry scarcely risen from its ruins was besieged by the english and had capitulated on the seventeenth of october after an heroic resistance of forty days open trenches since that day a mussulman hyder ali conqueror of the carnatic had struggled alone in india against the power of england it was around him that a group had been formed by the old soldiers of bussy and by the french who had escaped from the disaster of pondicherry it was with their aid that the able robber chief the crafty politician had defended and consolidated the empire he had founded against that foreign dominion which threatened the independence of his country he had just suffered a series of reverses and he was on the point of being forced to evacuate the carnatic and take refuge in his kingdom of mizore when he heard in the month of july seventeen eighty two of the arrival of a french fleet commanded by m de souffrain hyder ali had already been many times disappointed the preceding year admiral dove had appeared on the coromandel coast with a squadron the sultan had sent to meet him urging him to land and attack madras left defenceless the admiral refused to risk a single vessel or land a single man and he returned without striking a blow to ile de france ever indomitable and enterprising hyder ali hoped better things of the newcomers he was not deceived born at st canat in provence on the thirteenth of july seventeen twenty six of an old and a notable family amongst the noblesse of his province peter andrew de souffrain admitted before he was seventeen into the marine guards had procured his reception into the order of malta he had already distinguished himself in many engagements when m de castries gave him the command of the squadron commissioned to convey to the cape of good hope a french garrison promised to the dutch whose colony was threatened the english had seized negapatam and trincomali they hoped to follow up this conquest by the capture of batavia and ceylon souffrain had accomplished his mission not without a brush with the english squadron commanded by commodore johnston leaving the cape free from attack he had joined off ile de france admiral dove who was ill and at death's door the vessels of the commander of the maltese order were in a bad state the crews were weak the provisions were deficient the inexhaustible zeal and the energetic ardour of the chief sufficed to animate both non-combatants and combatants when he put to sea on the seventh of december count dove still commanded the squadron on the ninth of february he expired out at sea having handed over his command to m de souffrain all feebleness and all hesitation disappeared from that moment in the management of the expedition when the nabob sent a french officer in his service to compliment m de souffrain and proffer alliance the commander interrupted the envoy quote, we will begin said he by settling the conditions of this alliance end quote and not a soldier set foot on land before the independent position of the french force the number of its auxiliaries and the payment for its services had been settled by a treaty hyder ali consented to everything m de souffrain set sail to go in search of the english he sought them for three months without any decisive result it was only on the fourth of july in the morning at the moment when hyder ali was to attack negapatam 
that a serious engagement began between the hostile fleets the two squadrons had already suffered severely a change of wind had caused disorder in the lines the english had several vessels dismantled one single french vessel the Sever, had received serious damage her captain with cowardly want of spirit ordered the flag to be hauled down his lieutenants protested the volunteers to whom he had appealed refused to execute his orders by this time the report was spreading among the batteries that the captain was giving the order to cease firing the sailors were as indignant as the officers a cry arose quote, the flag is down end quote. a complacent subaltern had at last obeyed the captain's repeated orders the officers jumped upon the quarter-deck you are master of your flag fiercely cried an officer of the blue lieutenant dien but we are masters as to fighting and the ship shall not surrender by this time a boat from the english ship the sultan had put off to board the sever was supposed to have struck when a fearful broadside from all the ship's portholes struck the sultan which found herself obliged to sheer off night came without waiting for the admiral's orders the english went and cast anchor under negapatam m de souffrin supposed that hostilities would be resumed but when the english did not appear he at last prepared to set sail for gondolure to refit his vessels when a small boat of the enemy's hove in sight it bore a flag of truce admiral hughes claimed the sever which had for an instant hauled down her flag m de souffrin had not heard anything about her captain's poltroonery the flag had been immediately replaced he answered that none of the french vessels had surrendered quote, however he added with a smile as this vessel belongs to sir edward hughes beg him from me to come for it himself souffrin arrived without hindrance at gondolure or cadalore scarcely was he there when hyder ali expressed a desire to see him and set out for that purpose without waiting for his answer on the twenty sixth of july m de souffrin landed with certain officers of his squadron an escort of cavalry was in waiting to conduct him to the camp of the nabob who came out to meet him quote, heretofore i thought myself a great man and a great general said hyder ali to the admiral but now i know that you alone are a great man souffrin informed the nabob that m de bussy castelnau but late the faithful lieutenant of dupleix and the continuer of his victories had just been sent to india with the title of commander-in-chief he was already at ile de france and was bringing some troops quote, provided that you remain with us all will go well said the nabob detaching from his turban an aigrette of diamonds which he placed on m de souffrin's hat the nabob's tent was reached souffrin was fat yet great difficulty in sitting upon the carpets hyder ali perceived this and ordered cushions to be brought quote, sit as you please said he to the commander etiquette was not made for such as you next day under the nabob's tent all the courses of the banquet offered to m de souffrin were prepared in european style the admiral proposed that hyder ali should go to the coast and see all the fleet dressed but quote, i put myself out to see you only said the nabob i will not go any farther the two great warriors were never to meet again 
the french vessels were ready the commander had more than once put his own hand to the work in order to encourage the workmen's zeal carpentry wood was wanted he had ransacked gondolure or catalore for it sometimes pulling down a house to get hold of a beam that suited him his officers urged him to go to bourbon or ile de france for the necessary supplies and for a good port to shelter his damaged ships Quote, until i have conquered one in india i will have no port but the sea answered Souffrant. he had retaken trincomalee before the english could come to its defence the battle began as had already happened more than once a part of the french force showed weakness in the thick of the action either from cowardice or treason a cabal had formed against the commander he was fighting single-handed against five or six assailants the mainmast and the flag of the eros which he was on fell beneath the enemy's cannon-balls souffrin standing on the quarter-deck shouted beside himself quote, flags set white flags all round the eros the vessel all bristling with flags replied so valiantly to the english attacks that the rest of the squadron had time to reform around it the english went and anchored before madras bussy had arrived but aged a victim to gout quite a stranger amid those indian intrigues with which he had but lately been so well acquainted Hyder Ali had just died on the 7th of December, 1782, leaving to his son Tipu Sahib affairs embroiled and allies enfeebled. At this news, the Marathas, in revolt against England, hastened to make peace, and Tipu Sahib, who had just seized Tanjore, was obliged to abandon his conquest and go to the protection of Malabar ten thousand men only remained in the carnatic to back the little corps of french bussy allowed himself to be driven to bay by general stuart beneath the walls of gondolure he had even been forced to shut himself up in the town m de souffrin went to his release the action was hotly contested when the victor landed m de bussy was awaiting him on the shore Quote, here is our saviour said the general to his troops and the soldiers taking up in their arms m de souffrin who had been lately promoted by the grand master of the order of malta to the rank of grand cross or bailli carried him in triumph into the town Quote, he pressed m de bussy every day to attack us says sir thomas munro offering to land the greater part of his crews and to lead them himself to deliver the assault upon our camp bussy had in fact resumed the offensive and was preparing to make fresh sallies when it was known at calcutta that the preliminaries of peace had been signed at paris on the ninth of february the english immediately proposed an armistice the surveillant shortly afterwards brought the same news with orders for souffrin to return to france india was definitively given up to the english who restored to the french pondicherry chandernugger Mai and caracal the last strips remaining of that french dominion which had for a while been triumphant throughout the peninsula the feebleness and the vices of louis the fifteenth's government weighed heavily upon the government of louis the sixteenth in india as well as in france and at paris itself it is to the honour of mankind and their consolation under great reverses that political checks and the inutility of their efforts do not obscure the glory of great men 
M. de Suffren had just arrived at Paris. He was in low spirits. M. de Castries took him to Versailles. There was a numerous and brilliant court. On entering the guards' hall, quote, Gentlemen, said the minister to the officers on duty, this is M. de Suffren. Everybody rose, and the bodyguards, forming an escort for the admiral, accompanied him to the king's chamber. His career was over. The last of the great sailors of the old regimen died on the 8th of December, 1788. Whilst Hyder Ali and M. de Suffren were still disputing India with England, that power had just gained in Europe an important advantage in the eyes of public opinion, as well as in respect of her supremacy at sea. For close upon three years past, a Spanish army had been investing by land the town and fortress of Gibraltar. A strong squadron was cruising out of cannon-shot of the place, incessantly engaged in barring the passage against the English vessels. Twice already, in 1780 by Admiral Rodney, and in 1781 by Admiral Darby, the vigilance of the cruisers had been eluded, and reinforcements of troops, provisions, and ammunition had been thrown into Gibraltar. In 1782 the town had been half destroyed by an incessantly renewed bombardment. The fortifications had not been touched. Every morning when he awoke, Charles III would ask anxiously, quote, have we got Gibraltar? End quote. And when no was answered, quote, we soon shall, the monarch would rejoin imperturbably. The capture of Fort Philip had confirmed him in his hopes. He considered his object gained when the Duke of Crillon, with a corps of French troops, came and joined the besiegers. The Count of Artois, brother to the king as well as the Duke of Bourbon, had come with him. The camp of Saint-Roch was the scene of continual festivities, sometimes interrupted by the sallies of the besieged. The fights did not interfere with mutual good offices. In his proud distress, General Elliot still kept up an interchange of refreshments with the French princes and the Duke of Crillon. The Count of Artois had handed over to the English garrison the letters and correspondence which had been captured on the enemy's ships, and which he had found addressed to them on his way through Madrid. Preparations were being made for a grand assault. A French engineer, Chevalier d'Arcon, had invented some enormous floating batteries, fireproof, as he believed. A hundred and fifty pieces of cannon were to batter the place all at once, near enough to facilitate the assault. On the 13th of September, at 9 a.m., the Spaniards opened fire. All the artillery in the fort replied at once. The surrounding mountains repeated the cannonade. The whole army covered the shore, awaiting with anxiety the result of the enterprise. Already the fortifications seemed to be beginning to totter. The batteries had been firing for five hours. All at once the Prince of Nassau, who commanded a detachment, thought he perceived flames mastering his heavy vessel. The fire spread rapidly. One after another, the floating batteries found themselves disarmed. Quote, At seven o'clock we had lost all hope, said an Italian officer who had taken part in the assault. We fired no more, and our signals of distress remained unnoticed. The red-hot shot of the besieged rained down upon us. The crews were threatened from every point. End quote. 
timidly and by weak detachments the boats of the two fleets crept up under cover of the batteries in hope of saving some of the poor creatures that were like to perish the flames which burst out on board the doomed ships served to guide the fire of the english as sure as in broad daylight at the head of a small squadron of gunboats captain curtis barred the passage of the salvers the conflagration became general only the discharges from the fort replied to the hissing of the flames and to the spaniards cries of despair the fire at last slackened the english gunboats changed their part at the peril of their lives the brave seamen on board of them approached the burning ships trying to save the unfortunate crews four hundred men owed their preservation to those efforts a month after this disastrous affair lord howe favoured by the accidents of wind and weather revictualled for the third time and almost without any fighting the fortress and the town under the very eyes of the allied fleets gibraltar remained impregnable peace was at hand however all the belligerents were tired of the strife the marquis of rockingham was dead his ministry after being broken up had reformed with less lustre under the leadership of lord shelburne william pitt lord chatham's second son at that time twenty-two years of age had a seat in the cabinet already negotiations for a general peace had begun at paris but washington who eagerly desired the end of the war did not yet feel any confidence Quote, the old infatuation the political duplicity and perfidy of england render me i confess very suspicious very doubtful he wrote and her position seems to me to be perfectly summed up in the laconic saying of dr franklin they are incapable of continuing the war and too proud to make peace the pacific overtures made to the different belligerent nations have probably no other design than to detach some one of them from the coalition at any rate whatever be the enemy's intentions our watchfulness and our efforts so far from languishing should become more vigorous than ever too much trust and confidence would ruin everything america was the first to make peace without however detaching herself officially from the coalition which had been formed to maintain her quarrel and from which she had derived so many advantages on the thirtieth of november seventeen eighty two in disregard of the treaties but lately concluded between france and the revolted colonies the american negotiators signed with stealthy precipitation the preliminary articles of a special peace quote, thus abandoning france to the dangers of being isolated in negotiations or in arms the votes of congress as well as the attitude of washington did not justify this disloyal and ungrateful eagerness quote, the articles of the treaty between great britain and america wrote the general to chevalier de la luzerne french minister at philadelphia are so far from conclusive as regards a general pacification that we must preserve a hostile attitude and remain ready for any contingency for war as well as peace on the fifth of december at the opening of parliament george the third announced in the speech from the throne that he had offered to recognize the independence of the american colonies quote, in thus admitting their separation from the crown of this kingdom i have sacrificed all my desires to the wishes and opinion of my people said the king i humbly pray almighty god 
that great britain may not feel the evils which may flow from so important a dismemberment of its empire and that america may be a stranger to the calamities which have before now proved to the mother country that monarchy is inseparable from the benefits of constitutional liberty religion language interests affection may still form a bond of union between the two countries and i will spare no pains or attention to promote it End quote. Quote, i was the last man in england to consent to the independence of america said the king to john adams who was the first to represent the new republic at the court of st james i will be the last in the world to sanction any violation of it End quote honest and sincere in his concessions as he had been in his persistent obstinacy the king supported his ministers against the violent attacks made upon them in parliament the preliminaries of general peace had been signed at paris on the twentieth of january seventeen eighty three to the exchange of conquests between france and england was added the cession to france of the island of tobago and of the senegal river with its dependencies the territory of Pondicherry and Caracal received some augmentation. For the first time for more than a hundred years, the English renounced the humiliating conditions so often demanded on the subject of the harbor of Dunkirk. Spain saw herself confirmed in her conquest of the Floridas and of the island of Menorca. Holland recovered all her possessions except Negapatam peace was made a glorious and a sweet one for the united states which according to washington's expression quote, saw opening before them a career that might lead them to become a great people equally happy and respected end quote. despite all the mistakes of the people and the defects every day more apparent in the form of its government this noble and healthy ambition has always been present to the minds of the american nation as the ultimate aim of their hopes and their endeavors more than eighty years after the war of independence the indomitable energy of the fathers reappeared in the children worthy of being called a great people even when the agonies of a civil war without example denied to them the happiness which had a while ago been hoped for by the glorious founder of their liberties as well as of their constitution france came out exhausted from the struggle but relieved in her own eyes as well as those of europe from the humiliation inflicted upon her by the disastrous seven years war and by the treaty of seventeen sixty three she saw triumphant the cause she had upheld and her enemies sorrow-stricken at the dismemberment they had suffered it was a triumph for her arms and for the generous impulse which had prompted her to support a legitimate but for a long while doubtful enterprise a fresh element however had come to add itself to the germs of disturbance already so fruitful which were hatching within her she had promoted the foundation of a republic based upon principles of absolute right the government had given way to the ardent sympathy of the nation for a people emancipated from a long yoke by its deliberate will and its indomitable energy france felt her heart still palpitating from the efforts she had witnessed and shared on behalf of american freedom the unreflecting hopes of a blind emulation were already agitating many a mind Quote, in all states said washington there are inflammable materials which a single spark may kindle End quote. in seventeen eighty three on the morrow of the american war 
the inflammable materials everywhere accumulated in france were already providing a means for that immense conflagration in the midst of which the country well-nigh perished End of chapter 57